Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 architecture students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week is Part 2 of the fee management episode, uh, which will be covering how to negotiate the fee, getting paid, and what to do in the event of non-payment and working at risk. So this episode covers PC2 and PC4 of the part three criteria, which is clients, users and delivery of services and practice and management. Now, before I dive into today's episode, uh, I just wanted to give a special mention to uh, the Architects app. So this is a very useful resource um, when you're either studying for your part three or if you're a qualified architect um, because it has a numerous of resources where you can find guides, um, additional podcasts, um, reading material, regulations, uh, BIM uh, and a lot more useful information. So I'll provide um, a link to, to the app in the episode notes if you want to download it uh, and scroll through it at your own time. Now, diving into today's subject, fee management. So the key to any successful commission is negotiating and agreeing the fee with the client. So under this section of the episode, I'll be covering how to negotiate the fee. So in order to negotiate the fee with the client, as an architect, you will have to convey the importance of your services and that you are not just selling drawings, but valuable knowledge as well that will improve the lifestyle and property value of the user. That's why during the negotiation process, it's important to establish eye contact, to listen and communicate and concentrate to what is being said, be direct and convincing in your tone, but try not to sound arrogant, and reassure the client with any questions or queries that they may have, be commercially aware, avoid personal bias, and remember to listen carefully to what the client wants. So try not to push your own agenda before listening to what the client actually has to say. So during the negotiations, you should aim to recognize the client's values and objectives, Aim high initially and adjust later if necessary in small increments. Uh, Any offer to be conditional. Use questions to respond to a proposal. Nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Repeat items back to the other party to confirm everyone is in agreement. And always confirm back in writing what has been agreed then the client and architect together can review the fee and potentially consider if any of the tasks um, and or any of the resources could be eliminated to bring down costs. But the architect in such an instance should be very clear to the client of the effect of any emissions can have on the successful delivery of the project. So if, if that project relies on having a certain number of resources on it in order to deliver the best quality, that should be made clear to the client before um, eliminating those aspects from the project that might jeopardize the quality of the work and the deliverability of the work. 
So the architect may decide to carry out some of the services at no cost, but they will need to evaluate the risk and the implications of not making a profit and the knock-on effect it can have to the practice. So if the client comes back and says to start work and that the fees can be negotiated at a later stage, then the architect should consider such a scenario as working at risk, um, whereby the architect may not be paid for some of the services undertaken and therefore working at a loss. So you should make um, a commercial decision as whether you're prepared to take on such a risk for your practice. So once you've negotiated the fee, you should determine what form the fee agreement should be in. So it is in the architect's best interest to use an RIBA agreement form, which we talked in previous episodes, uh, in order to protect their own interests. But in the case where a, a client requires them to use a bespoke form, the client should compare it with the RIBA agreement terms and conditions, and if necessary, negotiate on points of concern. And they should also check with their PI insurance uh, provider that a non-standard appointment agreement is acceptable to them. So in case a claim comes up, you will be covered by your PI insurance. Now, if you end up using an RIBA standard agreement, this form is suitable for a commission where detailed contract terms are required and the project uses either a JCT standard or intermediate form of building contract. Uh, the standard agreement can be used with a wide range of procurement routes, so it's quite flexible in that sense, and it can be used with both domestic and commercial clients. So the RIBA standard agreement also covers the architect from termination and it's, um, it's set out to be fair to both architect and client. So you can also look to use a concise agreement form if the project is for extensions or alterations to an existing building and where the JCT Minor Works Building Contract or JCT Intermediate Form of Building Contract are used or you can use the domestic um, project agreement where the works involve working on a client's home. So next up, uh, I'll be covering how to actually get paid and the events of non-payment. So in terms of getting paid, uh, make sure to always have an agreement in writing that the client understands the payment provisions. Um, use RIBA agreements wherever possible. Uh, try not to start any work until the agreement has been signed. Um, Reevaluate the cost of providing the services at regular intervals. Uh, get the client to sign off and pay for the relevant work before initiating any submissions and for each stage as completed. Establish a rigorous procedure for managing fee accounts. Try to keep a separate fee file with the agreements and fee correspondence. Try to invoice monthly and submit claims for additional fees as incurred, not at the end of the commission, just to make sure that you get paid for any additional work that you carry out. So there are a number of ways you can claim fees. So they can be obtained through stage payments, whereby you're paid at each stage as previously mentioned. And this ensures you are protected from front-loaded fees from the earlier stages in the event that the project is canceled or changed uh, later on. 
So I covered this aspect in the previous episode in part one of fee management um, in the benefits of being paid at the end of each work stage. Uh, Another option can be through dividing the fee into equal installments for each month in the program. Uh, And the preferred method for charging will ultimately come down to the client's preference. And once it's been agreed, it should be set down in the fee agreement um, and in a fee management plan uh, to be used to calculate periodic payments and cash flows. Now, when it comes to non-payment, a common method used by clients to avoid payment is through what's known as a set-off. So the coming law of set-off provides a remedy where one party can rely on a separate claim to reduce or extinguish liability to the other. So clients commonly make claims of negligence and use the right of set-off as a means to avoid payment of fees. So if you're using an RIBA agreement, the right of set-off is excluded from the RIBA conditions of appointment with the intentions of separating payment of fees from damages. So if the alleged negligence is proven, it will be payable under the architect's indemnity insurance policy, encouraging the client to make a realistic assessment of success before pursuing the claim uh, to adjudication or in the court. So the architect can try to recover unpaid fees by initially obviously calling the client to discover the reasons for non-payment and to obtain a date for payment uh, just in case they're running late with their uh, monthly payments. Uh, if they're, They should also check if there is an indication that the client is in financial difficulty. So the client will then need to potentially consider to strike a deal for a lesser amount in case the client becomes insolvent. Um, Or the architect can try to recover fees if the client indicates that they have a genuine complaint. Then the architect should determine whether to negotiate a settlement. But if this isn't possible, the architect should send a letter to the client drawing their attention to the no set-off clause and demand payment and the letter should suggest that the client uses the dispute resolution procedures to settle the matter and that the architect is referring the matter to insurers. And if the allegation of default was made just to avoid payment, the client may choose to repent rather than face any formal dispute resolution. If the client still refuses to pay, the architect has some additional contractual options they can exercise including to claim interest on unpaid amounts, whereby if using RIBA agreements, they can add an additional 8% interest per year over the base rate to cover costs. Uh, They can also um, suspend use of the copyright license and any sub-licenses by giving the client seven days notice. They can also suspend or terminate performance of services by giving the client seven days notice, provided no pay less notice has been given by the client. Um, The architect also has the option to start dispute resolution procedures or to start commencing debt recovery procedures. But before the architect exercises any of these options, they should consider the possible reaction of the client and whether the situation can be remedied in any other way and how to minimize any potential loss. 
And in this next section, I will revert back to where I mentioned working at risk. So this would typically occur when the architect has been invited to provide um, preliminary services, usually um, relating to a competition with others and can either be with or without a fee proposal. So before proceeding with such an arrangement, the, the practice must decide on their strategy and make a commercial judgment on the risks involved, or you may be working at risk until an agreement has been reached with the client, meaning some work may end up being abortive. So working at risk, therefore, should not be an option because there is always a danger of loss. So the law doesn't generally support claims for payment for doing work in the expectation of obtaining a contract, but the bidding process is usually speculative and the associated costs are not normally recoverable, meaning that whatever work you do during that competition or a feasibility process or speculative process, you may not receive any fees for that process. So that's why you would be working at risk. Um, but to avoid this, um, an architect providing preliminary services at the request of a client may, in certain circumstances, make a successful claim of what's known as a quantum merit, whereby, in the absence of a contract, a claim would be based on the principle that the law will require the client to make restitution if the client has not paid for the architect's work, which helped to achieve the client's objectives and the anticipated contract was not awarded to the architect. So for such a claim to succeed, the architect would need to demonstrate that their contribution was requested by the client and given on mutual understanding that a contract will follow and that the architect provided services efficiently and effectively and that those services were carried out for the benefit of the client without payment. Of course, there's no guarantee that the architect's input will be rewarded. So the architect needs to assess uh, when the cutoff for free work must be um, must come to an end. So whenever there is risk, the architect should make sure to give the job a number and keep records of the time spent on it. So this will make it possible to assess the cost of the job and if it proceeds to recover the costs of some of the preliminary work. So if it proceeds, sometimes practices include the speculative work costs within the few of the initial stages or planning just to cover the hours they spent uh, earlier on in the early stages of that project. So going back to the RIBA code of conduct, um, which requires all architects to define the terms of engagement before services are provided and not to make an offer of services unless invited to do so. So while the terms of engagement, for example, the contract requires offer and acceptance to be completed, it may be reasonable to assume that a contract has come into force if after the receipt of, um, of the offer, the client's actions imply acceptance. So if you don't receive a response, then it's up to the architect to make a commercial judgment on whether to proceed with the services or not. So if you send them a letter of engagement, for example, and their response so sounds that they've accepted those services, then you can, in essence, assume that you have an implied 
contract. But if they don't, then you should decide whether you would continue to work at risk. So just to give you a quick understanding of what you would consider when putting together a fee, I'll just quickly outline the key items you would go through to determine it. So you should start by scheduling out all the drawings to be produced and how many days you think each one will take. Then you can draw up a simple bar chart program, setting these out to determine if your timescales seem realistic. Then you would work out the key tasks and how many days they would require. Then following this, you can then put everything together into the first chart for each key uh, work stage to get a good overview of the total extent and period for your service that your services will take. So once you've determined the total time for the services, you can then allocate your hourly fee against it. Then you can add your estimated expenses and the total will give you an approximate uh, lump sum fee. Uh, then it would be beneficial to work backwards to work out the percentage against the construction cost to see if you fall within the right region, which can be approximately between 5 to 10% um, of the construction cost, depending on the size of the project. So generally, the larger the project, the smaller the fee percentage. So to sum up what I've discussed today, remember to always have fee agreements with clients and have them in writing, signed and agreed. And make sure the agreement covers what will be paid, when you will be paid and how you will be paid. Then make sure the agreement allows for additional fees if the site is sold on or if someone else takes on the design. Don't start any work until this agreement has been confirmed and signed to avoid working at risk as you may not be able to recover the costs later on. Uh, if anything on the project changes, make sure to adjust the fee to reflect the changes and ensure it has been confirmed in writing with the client. Also make sure to add VAT to your invoices if you are registered and make it clear to the client that you'll be adding this. Protect your copyright interest with a contract clause that covers the payment to be made to you if the client sells the site or uses the design without you being retained as the architect. Uh, also, if possible, agree the level of your PI cover to be the limit of your personal or company liability to the client for the particular project. If this is included in your fee agreement, it will need to be explained to the client so they are aware of and agree to the implications. Also, get your fee accounts out on time and in line with your client's payment system and have a process in place to chase them if they haven't paid on time. Impose an interest in late payments to force clients to pay on time. If the services change or the client asks for amendments throughout the duration of the project, make sure to adjust your fee accordingly. Uh, make sure to allow for your expenses to be covered and what will be chargeable to the client. Keep a separate fee file to enable you to access the agreement quickly if any issues arise that impact fees or costs. Um, know when it's wise to get out of a job. Control the amount of speculative work you take on and ensure that you are fairly compensated for the risks if the work is successful. 
And last but not least, keep your clients updated of any fee changes at all times as required by the ARB and RIBA codes of conduct. As always, I like to provide you guys with a scenario to put what I just went through into context. So today's scenario will be looking at um, working at risk. So the scenario is that um, a university has invited a different um, different architects' practices to bid um, for for a job at the university. So they are undertaking this project under a competitive process and they will be obtaining funds from the bank. So they don't currently have uh, the budget to commission any of the architects until a proposal has been um, put together, accepted by them and then put to the lender to get the funds. So they've asked for the practice that you work for uh, to carry out a feasibility at a no-win, no-fee basis. So what you would need to do is put together a note to your um, to your manager just to lay out your thoughts and any concerns you might have if we were if the practice was to proceed with with this job at a no win no fee basis so you would start by saying to your manager that it does sound like a very good opportunity because you we will be working basically with um with a university so it's a very big commission to win um and if we are successful then it would increase um, the practice's chances to have an ongoing relationship with the university and to uh, potentially win um, larger additional works in the future. But then you would go about raising some points of implications. So saying that, first of all, obviously a no-win, no-fee scenario can be risky for the practice, as, as it's within the, AR, the ARB and the RIBA codes of conduct that architects are expected to enter into written agreements with the client stating the fee and its method of calculation. So in order for such work to not damage the practice's reputation, then we must at all times work with sufficient resources, diligence and competence, which are also stated in the ARB and RIBA codes of conduct, since we'll be working at risk. So we need to make sure that we've covered our backs um, if we are to continue with this commission. So as long as the practice is aware of the risks of taking on such a commission, then it's up to the practice to decide whether they're willing to take this job at, at their own risk. Then I guess our next point back to our manager can be that uh, the potential risks to the university to the client would be the terms in which they will agree the no win no fee situation with us so if we were to state within the agreement that we enter into um into the into the bid and if this bid is won then they must provide uh our fee depending on the sum or percentage we agreed on um 
and that they would be obligated to do so. So we would basically state that if we do win the commission, we want to be paid for it. The only tricky uh, part with this is that, as I mentioned earlier, the they don't necessarily have the funds to to pay for us. So they would just need to ensure that they secure the funds uh, to be able to pay for our fees if we do win the bid. But if they fail to provide us with the required payment, then we could proceed to legal actions towards them, which is obviously neither to our or to their interest. So the university should seek um, legal advice before proceeding with such an agreement that we put forward if they're willing to undergo such a process. Now, obviously, the risks to the practice are higher since we'll be taking the work at risk. So we should definitely insist in setting out our services, liabilities and fees within a written agreement, stating that if the bid is won, we are entitled to the sum stated within that initial agreement based on calculations and resourcing we believe to be sufficient to be signed and agreed by both parties, so both ourselves and the university. Um, We should also allow for an additional reward percentage within that initial fee to cover for the internal expenditure and resourcing while carrying out the works. So by having such an agreement, it will reduce the risks towards the practice in terms of copyright, uh, net contribution, disputes, liabilities and payment. But a few items we would need to confirm if we were to undertake the work uh, would be if we have sufficient resourcing to undertake the work with the required competence, skills and knowledge to meet the requirements for the bidding. So if we don't have uh, such resources currently within the office, uh, we should let the client know uh, immediately. The other downside of using resources for an unpaid project is that it may damage the profit and cash flow of the practice um, because we won't we would be spending money that we don't have in essence Uh, so we must determine whether we have enough additional profit from other projects to cover for this bid we should also therefore agree with the university the maximum amount of work we are willing to do at risk for no fee. Um, If a contract doesn't exist, however, or the university doesn't agree to enter into an agreement with us, then we could raise uh, a claim to obtain our fee if the bid is won uh, on the basis of contribution in providing the client with the required works to achieve Uh, their goals made for their benefit without payment. So we should therefore define our services as stated within the RIBA codes of conduct in order to uphold our professional standards and undertake safe practice. So hopefully this should give your manager enough information to make an informed decision as to whether to proceed with a no win no fee bid. And that concludes today's episode.
If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me tomorrow.